G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This week we are going to expand on a previous podcast relating to values. And we're going to have a look at a practical way that OTs might actually be able to use these ideas to get the best outcomes for their clients. I was talking to a friend of mine today around the podcast that I put out recently around values and exploring the fact that I would like to, you know, take that concept further and explore it in a little more detail and even a little bit uh, more of how I apply it. So I decided today I wanted to try and have a chat about occupational interviewing. Occupational interviewing is a technique that I've used clinically for uh, at least half of my career, and it looks at utilizing my knowledge around occupation and engagement and a uh, person's value system and how I believe that they all fit together, as I explained in the last podcast, and utilizing that to provide an effective occupational therapy service for the people that I'm working with. So the basic concept, and I'll go over this uh, because it's probably been a little while since that Values podcast was released, being episode nine. The basic concept is this. We all have a value system. That value system, due to basic human nature of us wanting to live uh, in line with our values, then dictates what kinds of activities that we may want to align with those values. Now, as occupational therapists, we can look at this as an occupational need. An occupational need, so our occupational needs are shaped by our value systems and what we hold dear and hold close and hold important. So the occupations that we fill those needs with can change over time. So, for example, a creative need while we're a kid might be filling that need with things like finger painting, Play-Doh, using our imagination, that kind of stuff. Uh, As an adult or a young adult, it might be filled with things like, uh, you know, fine art painting as opposed to finger painting. Could be filled with you know, as we get a little bit older, it might be Lego and that kind of stuff. And then well into adulthood, it could be something completely different. For example, I've always said that being able to record, engineer, post this podcast for me is is filling a creative need. It's a creative project for me more than anything. I, I thoroughly enjoy the audio engineering and learning all about it, trying different things, recording in different places. Uh, for example, that uh, Values podcast was recorded outside and amongst the birds, and you can hear that very much, whereas this particular podcast is being recorded in my car because it's quite a, a dead-sounding room. usually record them in my office or at work or my office at home. So being able to experiment with you know, what types of things affect the sounds uh, and then in post-production, uh, what kinds of tools that I can use to enhance the sound or edit the sound, etc. That, to me, is very creative. It fills a creative need for me. But previously in my life, I've done things like painting. I've done things like 
construction of, you know, Meccano and Lego when I was a kid and that kind of stuff. And I was always a fan of, you know, the big wooden blocks right down when I was really little. And that's all well and good. I think a lot of people, I got a lot of feedback from that last podcast saying that people got that concept. It made sense to them. Uh, it was something that a lot of people have utilized in some form. They just may not have used the exact words that I use. But in some form, they had looked at occupational need and occupation and had roughly connected that that was all uh, strongly dictated by a person's values. What I want to look at today is how we actually work that out as a therapist and how we can actually use that knowledge to enhance the therapy services that we're providing. And I use a fairly simple yet quite complex uh, skill, an interviewing type skill to work this out for the guys that I've worked with in the past. And I like it because it's, it's very occupation-based. It's very targeted. It's not uh, usually like a deficit-based uh, kind of intervention. It's very client-centered, uh, and I have always had really good engagement when I've utilized this type of interviewing, which to me is just core OT, but I know it's uh, quite separate and maybe quite foreign to some people. The first thing I want to do is obviously your usual communication stuff. You want to build rapport with someone, so it might be small talk. It might be talking about what they're doing. If you're on a ward, it might be talking about the weather. It might be talking about a sports team. What you're looking for is any kind of common ground that you can maybe broach with that person and make a little tiny bit of leeway so you can start building some, some really good solid rapport. Because remember, what you're about to do is ask them to really delve deep into what they've done in the past. And you're really going, you're asking them quite a lot. You're asking for a deep insight into a person's life and the things that they've done throughout their life, which I've always felt extremely, extremely privileged to be in a position where I get to actually look at that kind of stuff with people. But it does need to be recognized that that's a big ask for a lot of people, especially if they've only just met you. So I will always encourage people, take the time, however long it needs, to build the rapport if you're going to look at doing this kind of intervention, this kind of holistic occupation-based intervention, always take the time. The basic concept of what we're going to, or what I would do, would be, for starters, I need to find an occupational history, what I would call an occupational history. That is, I want to know what occupations they've engaged in over time. Now, there's two ways you can do that. You can start way back when, or... You can start at the present, find out what they're doing at the present, what engage, what they're engaging in at present, and work your way back from there. There's no right or wrong necessarily. It's whatever you're comfortable with and whatever you can effectively interview the person uh, about. What I would say is if you're going to start back when uh, in the past and then work forward, I would start in your mid-20s. And the reason I say that is because before that, your value system is still developing, especially if you're working with an older adult. Once they're sort of mid-20s, their value system then becomes a lot more cemented, a lot more concrete. So their value system, their values are more than likely going to be a lot more cemented in and permanent after that point in time. If you're obviously ever working someone in the mid-20s, then you're probably going to be more looking at what they're doing at present. 
if you're working with kids, then this may not be the best, but you can still work on uh, occupations with kids as well. So what you want to do is find out what they're doing now, work their way back. I start by looking for patterns. So I might find that over time, there's been a number of uh, occupations that I might think, and uh, bear with me, I'm not saying that I'm passing judgment, but this is how it works because we're it's all an educated guess at this stage. I might think that these particular occupations throughout this person's lifespan might be somewhat of a creative uh, need, or they might be uh, filling a creative need, I should say. I might think that there are these other occupations that might be filling, say, a social need or a altruistic need, etc. What I'll then do is, a one, I don't just stop there and assume that this is what's happened and this person obviously has a, a social and an altruistic and a, a creative need. I then explore with that person around these specific occupations and don't be afraid to just ask them. Be like, this sounds like it's possibly filling some kind of creative need. Do you feel like you've had that creative need and it's just the kinds of stuff that you would normally fill it with? You're not always going to be right. You may be surprised by what kinds of occupations people will do for what reasons. For example, I've worked with a number of people who engage in the occupation of taking illicit substances to fill a social need. And without the social need, they don't use if it, if they're filling a social need outside of that drug use, then they don't use for that period of time. And that's an important thing to note because a lot of people might assume that it's self-medicating or they're trying to, you know, they're, like they're trying to escape some sort of trauma or they've had some kind of really poor upbringing when if we look at it from an occupational point of view, that's a very different reason for them to be engaging in that occupation. And that's something we can really work with. That is really one of the big strengths of OT. And I believe being able to view situations through this occupational lens, which is very, very different from how other professions view the world, is what sets us apart. And this is where I keep drumming on about how important it is that we don't lose that. So anyway, back to topic. I were, so, so far I've got an occupational history. I've roughly maybe considered some patterns that I've noticed and I've started exploring some of these specific occupations to try and nut out whether my patterns are, are correct or not. Through this process, you'll then fine tune some of your occupations that you've discovered and where they might fit for that particular person. And it is very individual. You, this, this obviously doesn't translate to another person once you've, you've mapped this out. One occupation might, for some person, fill one need and uh, a completely different need for a different person or a completely different need for the same person under different circumstances. So it's important that we are not trying to generalize any of this. So why are we going to do this all, uh, at all? What is the point? So, let me give you a little example. Once we've nutted out what we believe, and again, even at the very end with all the information you could possibly gather, it's still only a very educated guess. You're never going to be able to 110% completely say that this is exactly what a person's occupational needs are and these are what their core values are. The most accurate values assessment in the world is still got some level of inconsistency uh, or 
unknown uh, entities to the theories. But we do our best. And the good thing about what we do is because we're actually engaging people in it, there's a lot of things that we can work out along the way after we've done this sort of initial kinds of assessment. So we've got a person, we know, say, what we, what we believe their occupational needs might be based on what we believe we've discovered about their values. We've worked back from what their occupations they engage in are right back through time, picked up some patterns about what we believe might have sort of been possible channels for those occupations and what needs they were filling. And we've discussed this and explored this with the person and we've decided, yep, okay, these are possible values for this person. Again, ask the person, do you feel like this is something that's really important to you? Is this something that you highly value? Might be a bit difficult for some people to answer that because values honestly aren't something that a lot of people think about consciously very often. But in the context of the discussion, I've, I've found in my experience that a lot of people just through the process of actually exploring this stuff tend to be able to answer these questions quite well. It's not completely out of the blue when you ask them a question after you've been exploring you know, what they've done for their lifetime. So we've got, we're, now, we're working with someone, say they've received, they've come in and they're seeing you because they have an injury. We've looked at what occupations they were engaging in before, like currently, uh, or before the injury. Uh, we've worked back through, got an occupational history, roughly worked out what their values might be and what their, therefore what their occupational needs might be. What can we do with that information? Well, one, we can, as usual, we can try and engage the person in the occupations they were doing pre-injury. And we do that, you know, our usual routes. We can modify the occupation, modify the person, modify the environment to increase their, their occupational performance of whatever occupation it is. No rocket science there. The other thing that this enables us to do is, say, for example, their, one of their needs is now not being filled, but the occupation that it was previously filled with, they are not able to do or they just plain don't want to do anymore. What this gives us, knowing what the actual need is, as opposed to just the occupation, because we could find a similar occupation, that's easy. But knowing what need that occupation was filling opens up such a more broad area of or broad types of occupations that we might be able to explore with this person. So I'll use my drug example that I was talking about before. Old mate that I was working with was using illicit substances for a social need. Now, the important thing that we need to know about drugs is we can't just stop cold turkey. It doesn't work like that. As Rebecca Twinley's work on dark occupations tells us, even though it's not very healthy, it's still an occupation. People are still actively engaged in it. It has meaning. It has purpose, etc., etc. If we take that away, we are literally just providing them with now an unmet need. So what we have to do instead is try and replace that occupation with something that fills that need or maybe even hopefully fills that need even better, but might be a little more health health giving. So for our for instance, our our mate who is using using drugs as a social need we wouldn't necessarily be exploring, so if he was trying to quit, we wouldn't necessarily be exploring a lot of sort of drug substitutes and drug rehab and that kind of stuff. We might be exploring social 
things that he can be involved in. If he's a young fella, it might be sports teams or clubs and that kind of stuff. Uh, for older people, it might be, you know, it could still be sports teams, but it might be in a different capacity. It might be as managers, coaches, running the clubhouse, that kind of thing. Av- different avenues because we understand what need that particular occupation is filling. If we were to just take the drugs as face value, as, yep, you're using an illicit substance. Why do people use them? They, you know, they like, they're addicted is probably the more common thing that you'll find. So they go to all sorts of drug rehabs and counselling sessions and uh, they might use uh, synthetic substitutes to try and kick the addiction or the addictive properties of whatever drug it is. At the end of that process, we still, exactly the same as as if we went cold turkey, we still now have an unmet social need. Human nature is to take the path of least resistance. So if there's something that that person knows fills a need and it's not currently being filled, they're going to go back to what they know, which is, in that instance, possibly illicit substances. Being able to understand how humans function, like I said, that we take the path of least resistance, we are constantly trying to stay in our comfort zone because it's uncomfortable to go out of that. Funny that. And that we are quite resistant to change for that exact same reason. Because change is uncomfortable. Change that goes against someone's value system is exponentially more uncomfortable. To the point where in healthcare, it is possible that we can cause people trauma just by providing the care that we're trained to provide. Being able to understand a person's values in this occupational uh, way helps us to really target the types of occupations that this person might be able to explore with you as the OT to re-engage and fulfill those needs. It's not about just replacing productivity and leisure and that kind of stuff. It's about filling a person's really core needs, their occupational needs, which are based on their values. As can be heard, this is something I'm quite passionate about and something that I've practiced extensively in my clinical career. I'm more than happy if I would love to hear from people if they have other ways that they use some kind of occupational interviewing. Have you ever used occupations and occupational interviewing to try and suss out someone's values or what they need? Have you ever had success stories or even stories that didn't quite work the way you were expecting in using this kind of intervention? I would love to hear feedback from from you guys. The, The feedback I've got so far on all of the podcasts that I've put out have been Absolutely phenomenal, and I've learned so much off you guys uh, just from you know little tiny hints and tips from numerous, numerous people uh, have opened my eyes to new things, and I, I'm keen to try a lot of them. So I would love to hear about any time, any sort of occupational values-based interventions that you guys have have uh, come across or used. Uh, other than that, guys, thank you so much again. For, for tuning in this, this means the world to me if you do love what you hear feel free to share it with a friend share it with another OT that you know like subscribe all of that fun stuff it's all on my website brockhook.com 
Uh, you'll find all of the episodes and where you can find this podcast. You can find it pretty much anywhere you can actually find podcasts nowadays. So big ups to that. Uh, other than that, guys, thank you very, very much. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah.